Moleni Betuna and welcome to this week's episode of the Inspired Podcast. Today I'm bringing you another book-inspired episode because I thought, why not? You know, I want these book-inspired episodes, book reviews to be a regular occurrence um, here. I love sharing books that I read. So I wanted to, I want to churn out more book-related content on a regular and I also want to start off this episode by apologizing because I can already tell that it's going to delay by a few hours. So it'll still drop on the same day, maybe a couple of hours later. And I do apologize because, hey, this week fought, eh? This week through hands. But you know what? I fought harder and we have an episode. We have an episode. So this book's... So... This week's book episode is titled A Radical Awakening by Dr. Shefali. Now, let me give you a bit of context on how I came across this book. So I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts on purpose by Jay Shetty. I'm sure a lot of you know who Jay Shetty is. And I believe this was this was a while ago. I've had this book for a good two years and some change. Um, I believe this was in 2021. If I'm not mistaken, 2021. So definitely an oldie, but a goldie. Anyway, I was listening to um, Jay Shetty's interview with Dr. Shafali, and I was so blown away and so captured by her interview. I remember literally pausing the podcast, going, running at this point to take a lot um, and finding the book. And luckily, the book is available on Take A Lot. I know my friends are going to ask me where I bought this book. The book is available on Take A Lot. This is no promo, but I ran to Take A Lot to buy this book. That's how touched I was by her interview. Anyway, so this book is quite a long read. Um, it's more than 300 pages. More than 300 pages. Um, so... So this book is quite a long read, I will be honest. It took me some time to digest it. You know, I had to pause in between and take breaks. It is more than 300 pages long. And there are many things that I have learned and absolutely adore about this book. But I simply couldn't agree with some of the points that she made. Nevertheless, I'd still 100% recommend it. Just because I disagree with some parts of the book doesn't take away from it being a great and a phenomenal book. So I do recommend that you check it out. So Dr. Shafali is a clinical psychologist who obtained her doctorate from Columbia University. She has a specialization in combining Western psychology and Eastern philosophy, providing the best of both worlds in her work and to her clients. She's the author of four books, three of which are the best sellers of the New York Times. So about the book, let's get into the book. I'd say that um, A Radical Awakening is an ode to all women out there who want to rediscover their purpose that already exists within them. So definitely directed towards the women audience. And I love the way I phrased it because I think when we think of purpose, when you think of our higher selves, we often feel so detached from that person that we think that they are external from us and not already within us i'm not sure if i'm making sense 
this is something that you sort of realize when you're on your journey of healing, of healing your inner child. And when you start becoming aware, when you start becoming aware, you realize that, hold on, this higher self, this person who I envision myself to be already exists within me. It has been with me all this time. I just simply had to stop thinking that this person is, is, is external of me and reaching outside of myself and redirect my attention to look within. So like I said, it's an ode to women out there. The book challenges a lot of what we have been conditioned to believe, I'd say. What we have been conditioned to believe about ourselves, about others, about society and religion, and how this impacts the girl child, and also the type of grown women we then become. She explains how as children we are unable to advocate for ourselves. And growing up, we had no option of becoming who we authentically wanted to be, surrendering to this conditioning that I'm speaking of. She mentions how almost all of her life she has lived in a fog where glimpses of her authentic self would show here and there. But of course, they were invalidated, they were suppressed, and they were simply silenced. Now, as a a black woman in South Africa, I can totally relate to this so much because so much is expected of the girl child compared to the, the the boy child in our society. You know, the concept of niceness. Good girls are seen, not heard. You know, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with that. And when I think of, and when I think, and as a, as a girl child, I'm just speaking to all the women out there, Sorry to the men listening to this podcast. <laughs> this is not for y'all. <laughs> but you're more than welcome to stay and learn something, you know. Um, I'm sure as a girl child out there, you, you cannot tell me that you didn't have a sense of seeing, feeling, or knowing what a patriarchal male-dominated system was like or what it feels like. I don't think at that time and now young selves we had the words to articulate it but we definitely knew and we definitely felt it it's in the nuances of our culture now this takes me to like for example when when we are dishing out plates and we're giving plates out we always start with the men and then the women and then the children then stuff like that you know things like that you notice it and it's sort of ingrained in you to know that you are a girl child so you're supposed to do this and you're supposed to stay there do this stay in your corner be nice all of these things So he might have not known how to articulate it, but I'm sure we definitely knew that it's, it's men first and then everybody else follows, you know. So we spend years of living in fear of dis- disapproval of others, that we suffocate under patriarchy. We fear failure, we fear rejection and loneliness, you know. What will people say? The fear of ostracism, all of those things. And we're almost shamed to admit our blind spots and that we have indeed been conditioned. I think it is a valid point and truly a hard pill to swallow because no one wants to admit these things. Admitting them for some means to be weak and contrastingly admitting them. Now, that 
admitting them for some means admitting to weakness you know and in contrast admitting them means that now that you have brought it to your attention you are now left with the responsibility of undoing them and healing from them I literally have this book in my hands and it's so hard to do this review because it's such a big book and I so many points to touch on so I don't want to stick in one on one point for a long time because I believe there are so many valuable nuggets which are worth mentioning so I want to cover a lot of ground so let's let's just move on to another chapter that really touched me it's in chapter five and it's titled deconstructing patterns so in this chapter she talks about deconstructing patterns and I especially love it when a book not only focuses on the problem but also brings forth solutions that people can observe within themselves but anyway she talks about how we don't live a life we live a pattern and I agree with what she says because that sentiment is technically it's backed and supported by neuroscience theories. There are many theories supporting the notion, fact, statement, whatever you want to call it, that the brain makes sense of the world by predicting what we will see and then updating these predictions as the situation demands. So indeed, we don't live a life, a full life. We live in a pattern. She says, the reason most of us don't notice our patterns is that we have been hungry for food, love, and worth. So hungry that we have been in a hallucinatory stupor. Attention, acceptance, and validation are the prizes we obsess over, rapidly hunting them at all costs. Because we believe we are looking for, because we because we believe what we are looking for can only be found on the outside, this hunt takes us from relationship to relationship. And at the end, from achievement to achievement, we feel puppeteered by the world and conclude that situations happen to us rather than our consensual participation. That is such a good paragraph. It's so well written because what she's essentially saying is that these patterns of are a way of answering questions such as am I loved am I seen am I worthy and instead of exploring ways in which we can satisfy those needs within ourselves we seek them from our external world and this is not something to be ashamed of though because she further explains that as children we are raised to seek approval and validation from our parents which are at the top of the hierarchy followed by elders in the family, then teachers, then the community at large which then sets us up to depend on them thus deepening the idea or the notion that we ought to seek these things outside of ourselves. So she's spot on in terms of breaking down and in, in terms of having to so she's spot on in terms of having to break down and deconstruct patterns if you if you think about it because if you think about it the process of healing growing and learning by its very nature is a process of deconstructing and interrupting these patterns that have kept you in the same spot that is why it's necessary to do the things that scare you the things that cause you anxiety or the things that your brain is resisting because the reason why it's resisting it it's because it's new and it cannot predict what's on the other side you know and the only way in which growth takes place is outside of your comfort zone 
Okay, the third point I want to touch on is where she talks about the lies of love. I get, I get that tropi bomb, that tropi bomb, click chapter, that tropi bomb. Oti, modern love is more enslavement than it is liberating. Mm. Modern love is more enslavement than it is liberating. I'm going to let that marinate on you because I want to read a passage from this life, from this book. I'm going to let that marinate in you because I want to read this passage. Uti, every boy, every boy the girl dates after the age of 23 is seen as a prospective husband. As they grow past the age of 25, the need to hone in on the perfect mate becomes urgent. Marrying the right person implies living happily ever after. There is a definite agenda to all of this falling in love. Love in love in this fashion is extremely goal-driven. One doesn't love for the sake of loving. One loves for the sake of committing one's future to the other. Ooh. One doesn't love as an expression of the soul. One loves as an expression of the ego's desire to fulfill an agenda. You didn't. You can't tell me that didn't touch your soul. She further says, the cu- the cultural script tells us to fall in love with someone who completes us. Besides the obvious implication that we are not whole enough without the other, the other more insidious undertone is that we are dependent on that person for our identity. The one we love is not just the receiver of our love, but also a part of the plan to gain a new identity as a whole person. I'm going to let you marinate on that as well. I think this is such a brilliant point because it speaks to how conditional love is in modern day society. And I want to argue that love will always be conditional, guys. <laughs> love will always be conditional. There's no such thing as unconditional love. I will love you. I will honor you. I will worship the ground you work on, provided that you reciprocate my love, provided that you show me as well that you love me. Uh, I'm not going to be your, your dumb dumb. And this is Masaku. You know what I mean? So love will always be conditional. Because why would you love someone who's not reciprocating your love? It doesn't work like that. I think the only unconditional love there is, is a relationship between a parent or a child, maybe. Even then, is quite tricky. It is quite tricky. But I feel like what she she wants to say is that love will always be tainted by a future goal or some future plans and really about loving the person for the sake of loving the person. So then you'd ask, what is the criteria for which we should base our decisions to be intimate with a person or pursue anything with a person? For me, personally, it, it is how they treat and how they love on themselves. So do you love yourself and how do you show yourself that you love yourself? I know it's it's quite, it's different, man, to ask a man those type of questions, but I feel like it's so necessary. So asking questions such as, are you invested in your self-growth and your self-development, and how do you prioritize this in your life? I think these are the questions that we ought to ask in dates, guys. Rather than asking people how many siblings they have or what's their favorite color, because that's the thing, you go for dates and it doesn't matter how many questions you have prepared. It doesn't matter if you have a list in your notes app on the question that you should ask. You will never get and walk out of that table knowing exactly who that person is. It's it's impossible. When you when you get to know people, when you meet people, they don't show you who they really are. They show you who they want you to see. 
So I think the only accurate way of getting to know a person is experiencing that person, experiencing that person in different circumstances and different experiences. Um, what's experience how they interact with people how they interact with waiters how they interact with servants how do they deal with frustration when they're in public do they have outbursts do they contain it i think there's no there's no way that you can absolutely know all there is to know about a person by just asking questions because just like in interviews they're a lie they're going to put their best foot forward and that bit that the, the they're going to put their best foot forward and their best foot forward might not even be who they authentically are. So the best way to go about it is just experiencing this person in different settings, you know. There's a perf- there's a, a, a beautiful line that goes on with what I'm saying that says that those who violate their own inner truth violate the truth of others. Mm. Those who violate the, their own inner truth violate the truth of others so instead of seeking and looking at how this person might benefit you how this person is gonna contribute to the bag or you know how will they add value to your life rather look at how they take care of themselves do they take care of themselves mentally do they take care of their development or they prioritize the development because that more than anything will tell you who you are dealing with now In the book, Radical Awakening, Dr. Shefali explores a myriad of other topics. She touches on love, marriage, divorce, sexuality, motherhood, beauty, niceness, all of these good stuff. But if if I talk about them all, this episode would never end. This episode would never end. So if you're interested in checking it out, I suggest that you check out the book online. It is a good read. It's a good read. Not going to lie. You're going to spend a pretty coin on it, though, because it's, it's, it's not cheap, but it's a good read. I think it's worthwhile if you are a woman listening to this episode and you are invested in your development and your discovery and rediscovery, redefining the story about yourself. I think this book is worthwhile and you should definitely add it onto your collection. But anyway, that's all I have for you today folks and i hope that you enjoy this book these book inspired episodes i'm always keen to buy new books it's my guilty pleasure so please if you have any suggestions of books that i should read hit me up hit me up don't be afraid and as always this is not a me thing this is an us thing so please feel free to contact me and let me know what you want me to talk about next see you next week